Welcome to the Mom and Dot 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 Podcasts. We're your hosts, Suzanne Kearns and Missy Stevens. We want to help you through everything that happens in the ellipses, from your professional life to your emotional health. You're a mom and so much more. Let's figure out what comes next together. Welcome to the Mom and Dot 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 podcast. I'm Suzanne Kearns, a mom and dot 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 writer, LGBTQ and sex ed advocate, and today 30% dry shampoo. That's pretty good percentage. It's getting bad. You still have at least 30% to go before you're in some sort of dire situation. Yes. I'm Missy Stevens, mom and dot 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 writer, foster care advocate, and today a spring planting planner. I think we're done with freezes and I can start planning. Oh, don't you do pots Knock and stuff. on wood. <laughs> and today we are so excited to welcome Amber Leventry. Amber is a parent and dot, 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 queer, non-binary writer and advocate. They live in Vermont and have three kids. Amber is an editor of Trends and News at Parents Magazine, and their writing appears in many publications, including Scary Mommy, Romper, Long Reads, The Temper, The Washington Post, and Parents Magazine. Amber uses their words to influence and educate people on the importance of supporting the LGBTQIA plus community. They provide LGBTQIA plus inclusivity trainings locally and nationally. They are also available to give keynote speeches at conferences and events. Welcome. We Welcome. are so happy to have you here. Wow. That makes me sound really like knowledgeable and stuff. So. I know. Don't you love having your bio read? I love it. <laughs> Like I, I wrote that. I, I want to hire them. They sound amazing. <laughs> well, awesome. and beyond those amazing bio facts that we just got to read about you, we were wondering if you can tell everyone a little bit about your career path and any major life events that might have in, impacted. I almost said infected. Well, <laughs> infected I mean, your decision. I mean, I mean what's hard, the difference? But... <laughs> <laughs> might have impacted your decisions, like maybe becoming a parent. Absolutely. I mean, yes, I'm a parent and writer and, and advocate and all, all the thing. And, and they definitely came together. Um, mm-hmm. Kind of one can't happen without the other. Um, my oldest is now 11. And, you know, my ex and I knew we wanted kids. We moved to Vermont in 2001. And Vermont was the first state that allowed civil unions. And we're like, that felt like a really safe place to go out of college. We met at Penn State. And so we were coming from Pennsylvania to Vermont. And we knew we wanted to have a family and we had the, I guess, benefit of, to some extent, choosing when we wanted to happen. And then obviously Mm -hmm. there's then the, the not so fun benefits of, okay, like it's going to be really expensive. Where do we get the sperm and, you know, all the legal paperwork that went behind it. Cause that was even before federally same sex relationships were Mm. um, recognized. So before we even had conceived a child, we went through all the paperwork to make sure this, this kiddo was legally recognized as my child in some capacity. Cause I couldn't adopt something that didn't exist yet. I was the non-biological carrier of, of all three of my kiddos and we didn't do any like egg transfer or anything. So mm-hmm. you know, my kids are my kids, but I don't have any biological connection to them. And so depending on where I live, it shouldn't have to, but depending on where we are, whether it's living or traveling, you know, visiting friends or family, especially, you know, international travel, not that we did a ton, but just like taking a Caribbean cruise or something that, you know, if we wanted to go on a Disney cruise or a certain Island, you know, like we have to think about those things. And, um, so going through the whole process of just trying to build our family and I, and I'd always, I knew I wanted to, I have a degree in horticulture and egg business, and it wasn't until my last semester finishing up like this 
research paper that I'm like, oh, I want to write forever and ever. And I really thought I would be writing about sustainable agriculture. And like, I really thought I would have my hands in, in that. Um, and then I had to go back to school to do that. And I'm like, I don't think I want a master's in agriculture that bad. So I'm like, I'm just going to write on the side. It's fun. Um, it's therapeutic. Yes. But then the parenting piece kicked in and trying to find information about being a queer parent and at the time identifying as gender fluid. I mean, I never really identified with the word lesbian, but I was, you know, presenting as um, female and using she, her pronouns. There just wasn't a lot out there. So I started writing our story about trying to become parents and becoming a parent. And I wrote for this little website called Cherry Girl and it was a lesbian magazine about parenting. And for so long, and to some extent that still exists in the space, queer spaces don't talk about parenting a lot. Mm-hmm. It's either parenting and they don't have a lot of queer parents right. or queer. And there's, so there's this weird thing. So I'm like, I need the two to mesh. Yeah. And so my writing became that. And actually I picked up a lot of traction on what are considered, especially then 12 years ago, mainstream parenting sites, because mm-hmm. I had the same stories to tell. I was right. scooping poop out of the bathroom. I was <laughs> doing all the things I was exhausted, yep. but yet there are these extra layers of worry and fear and discrimination. And so I started using my writing to not only tell our story to have other people feel seen, but for other people to understand like, oh man, you have to like make lunches and deal with second parent adoption. Yeah, (laughs) I do. Mm -hmm. And so then my twins were born and one of my kiddos is transgender and I have her consent to talk about her today. As you mentioned, I am an educator and I use her and our story a little bit in my education and my advocacy really kicked off I started writing a little bit about not just her experience because it's her experience in her life, but mine as a parent of a transgender child to educate others and to tell our story in a way that would, that would help others. And I was getting a lot of personal messages from Mm -hmm. people saying, oh my gosh, me too. Where can I go for help? How can you, you know, this article really helped me. And, and people were asking for advice and you know, I don't speak for all trans and non-binary people. I don't speak for all parents of, of trans people, but I realized I had something to offer to other parents. And so mm-hmm. I started my Facebook page and I was like, look, this is going to be where I go publicly to either put articles I've published and or articles I think are beneficial. So instead of me replying to, you know, sometimes up to 10 messages a day from different families, like let's go here. You know, I can't be all that for you, but I can be this. Um, yeah. Yeah. And right around then is when I got, I was like, Oh, I think I need to get sober. <laughs> um, I've been in recovery. So like all the things I'm just like, let's just check all the boxes while we're at all it. at once. Um, so like it's, it's all meshed. And I really think parenting has been my way into these advocacy spaces because you know, you mentioned, or maybe we'll talk about some of the trainings I do. And people are like, how do I talk to my kids about this stuff? It's like, well, really adults and parents want to know these topics better themselves. So they can have meaningful conversations because really the kids aren't the problem. It tends to be the adults who don't know what terms mean, or they don't know their own biases, or this is what they grew up knowing. So they don't know what questions to ask. Um, And so they want to be in these spaces and ask another parent, like, what do I do? What does this mean? How do I support my kid? Yeah. I think that's what it comes down to 
in a lot of cases. And for me, your writing has been so helpful with that Thank because you. as much as you are helping people within the LGBTQIA plus community understand how you know, that has to do with parenting, any kind of implications that may have, there's there are so many cisgender heterosexual people who do want to know how to have these conversations with their parents and or with their parents and sometimes with your parents and, and, well, yeah, and with anybody. And one of the things that we've been talking about or just referring to are pronouns. I think that's kind of the most 101 thing that anyone as an ally can do. I'm not sure if we can see, um, if people are watching the YouTube, if you can see, I always have like she, her is uh, on my name, just having my pronouns there. You have, you pronounce so smart. And I don't know why them. I haven't done that. You want to do it now? <laughs> yes, <laughs> you can change Like it it's right never now. even, like I see yours all the time and I never think about what my name says. I know. Well, yeah. And I don't think can it plays you change on them? Our, I don't know how to do yeah. it. I don't think so it I, This is actually great. People ask me all the time because so maybe we can keep this in. So yes, you're yeah. on Zoom. And if you go to uh -huh. those three little dots in the blue uh -huh. box and hit rename, uh -huh. just next to rename, just rename. add in parentheses. And I always tell folks, add the pronouns you're most comfortable using today. Mm. So you don't have to tell me the pronouns that you are most comfortable with all the time. Because in different spaces, people use different pronouns. Um, mm -hmm. You know, a, a big question that people often ask, you know, I saw somebody at work and they had she slash they pronouns. Like, what do I do with that? I'm like, that's a great question. Thank you for asking. A lot of times... I, I weigh how much can I help with this and how much do I want to say Google's free um, because let's not lean on our queer friends too much to give them, you know, yes, right. Like you're not the whisperer of all things. Yeah. Yes. Right. But this is coming up more and more often. And I knew where this person was coming from and they were already using their own pronouns. They're like, man, I, I totally understand like the benefit of, of offering my pronouns so that people know how to address me. And also I'm giving them a clue that I'm interested in held their feel most comfortable being addressed. So that's this nice back and forth, you know, pronouns are for everybody. <laughs> they're not just for the transgender community. You know, they're for every, we all have pronouns, you know, people get so worked up. Like, why is this so PC all of a sudden? I'm like, well, how do you identify? Like we all have pronouns and mm -hmm. you know, there are new ish, well, new to people pronouns that more people are starting to use because language evolves and we are more comfortable expressing ourselves in ways that feel appropriate. You know, we have been using they, them, gender neutral pronouns forever to refer to one person. And often people don't realize they're even doing it. I like to give the example of you go to the park and you see a water bottle and you think, oh my gosh, somebody forgot their water bottle. I hope that they come back and get it. Maybe mm -hmm. they won't. I'm going to take it to lost and found so that when they come back, they'll know where to find it. So you just kind of do it automatically because you don't know the gender of the person. And it's, first of all, easier instead of saying she, him, like you just don't do it. Right. Yeah. Um, so it is grammatically correct. It's in all the major, you know, writing guides. It's in the dictionary. We've been using this language forever. You know, so when folks say, I can't do this. I'm like, well, you probably already actually do do this. We do. You're just yeah. using it maybe in a new to you way. And yeah. that's okay. It takes practice, but it it's does, not wrong. It does take practice. And I tell Missy all the time, like I can mess up someone's pronouns, like nobody's business, but it's, it is, it's practice. But one of the things that I have been reminded in advocacy spaces and in trainings is that if you do mess it up, just say, oh, just own it. Know, I meant they, them move on the, the is that do you agree with that don't put this onus on the person who you've screwed up their pronouns to like accept this big apology don't go on and on about why just 
apologize move on yeah I, I think two things like the the making a mistake and not correcting it hangs in the air the mm-hmm. over apologizing and then putting it on the person to make you feel better for your mistake is also no no so yeah just uh and go on. And if you feel comfortable with that person later on and want to go and say, Hey, thank you for being patient with me. Or maybe just be like, it's okay. If you're not, I'm, you know, trying, or I'm sorry, but don't expect. And it's okay. Cause depending on that person's mood, you may be the 20th person to have done that to them today. And they're just (laughs) not in the space to be forgiving, but yeah, exactly what you, you said, just quick correction, move on. And, or if you hear somebody else make a mistake, you can just say, Oh, Missy, I think they use they, them pronouns. Yeah. Beautiful. Like I love being in spaces mm-hmm. where people correct other people for me. And it's just this really simple, you know, gesture. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a big deal. And so for people who use multiple pronouns, I was saying, you know, in different spaces, yeah. um, People use multiple pronouns for a lot of different reasons. Some could be they're they're really just comfortable with either pronoun. You know, Halsey is is a really public example mm-hmm. of being upset when somebody chose not to use their pronouns and was obviously more comfortable referring to her with she her pronouns and wasn't alternating them. So basically, like if you're writing about somebody or talking about somebody who uses multiple pronouns, do your best to use both of them and don't default to what you're just most comfortable with. So that's kind of like somebody is happy with either one, but let's respect both of them. Other people mm-hmm. might be trying on new pronouns. They might be like, hmm, I want to see how that feels when I hear that. So I want people to use both. Neither one really maybe bother me or I'm okay with either one. So they might choose, okay, I actually prefer this one or both are fine. Some people will be like any and all pronouns, it doesn't matter. And that's okay too. For other folks, depending on how accepting the spaces they are in, if they know it like a work situation, they're going to get misgendered a lot. It's almost an allowance to let people misgender them. They're, they're giving permission in a way that protects them emotionally. It's a bummer, but some people do that. Like, I know they're not going to get my pronouns, right? So if I kind of go ahead and say either one is fine, maybe half the time I'll get the one that I really want. Hmm. You know, those are just a few examples of why people use multiple pronouns. So when you, you know, said, I want to put my pronouns, I don't want anybody to feel like they have to choose a pronoun for today that will last forever. So I say, what are you most comfortable with today? And so somebody who uses multiple pronouns, they might say, it doesn't matter. They might say, oh, this one. Or like maybe tomorrow you'll want to pick something else and that's fine too. But in this space today, I'm going to use she, her, because that's what you asked me to do. Thank you for clarifying that. And I I think it's going to be a continuing, like you said, it's practice. It's learning more and more in our district. Most of the teachers have their pronouns. If they're doing a zoom, um, well, now we're not doing the the virtual school anymore, but for a long time with the virtual school, our district, uh, when kids came back to school this year, had encouraged all the teachers to use their pronouns. And if the kids want to use their pronouns, use that as well. And it's just become uh, hopefully more and more of a norm. And I love that we went through our little tutorial of how to actually go in and change your name. So now (laughs) I feel really dumb that I had not know how to change my name. I'm never, that's been my name forever. Like, there you go. I never even thought about changing it. Zoom is weird because I will put it and tell it to keep it. And the next time I logged in, I have to add it again. So yeah, it does do that. So now I'll watch and I know how to fix it. Yeah, I can so fix now it, you know like... how to fix it. Love it. Exactly. And I will say what helps too, like when I talking about teachers, you know, some teachers are like, Oh, I have this on my lanyard. I don't know why I don't understand it. Mm-hmm. And so I want teachers to understand that. Mm-hmm. What does it mean? Because I'm not saying by respecting gender neutral or, or neo pronouns or 
you know, multiple pronouns that we can't validate students with other pronouns. I mean, because a cisgender boy who's like, I'm a boy, use he, him pronouns. Absolutely. Let's validate you for that. My transgender daughter, she wants she, her pronouns. That's very validating for her. So we're not saying raise kids without gender. When we are saying let's respect gender neutral pronouns, we're saying let's use inclusive language. Let's stop labeling kids, boys and girls. Let's open our minds to all the different ways that we can, you know, say hi to a class instead of saying hi, boys and girls. There's hi, hi friends, hi team, hi learners, hi students. My uh, elementary school that my kids go to, they, I think every, there's an animal. So hi sloths, like uh-huh. every room is something <laughs> different. Like there's so many different ways, hi second graders that we can address these kids without maybe making one or more kid feel isolated because they're like, oh man, I'm not either one of those things, Feel that thing, or I'm exploring it. And even it's not just for the trans and queer kids, you know, it helps us break out of these gender stereotypes for the cisgender straight kids. Cause we want kids to be able to explore all colors and emotions and toys and subjects without feeling like they have to fit into this mold of what it means to be a boy or a girl. And, and if we do this, I mean, I often say like, you know, queer folks and drag queens are just allowing like these like cis men to wear nail polish if they want to, because like, let's like normalize the fact that like you can wear and do whatever you want. And that's pretty amazing. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm not trying to take away and other people in this space are not trying to take away what people hold true to themselves. We're simply asking for them to be more respectful of other identities. That's really what it comes down to. A hundred percent. I'm going way off of our plan and we'll get back on to it. Sure. My brain is like spiraling. I do that to people. I'm trying to figure <laughs> out how to talk to people in my life who it feels like a scarcity issue. Like I'm what what is this fear and then how do you talk to how, how do you talk about it? Like what what can I say to my very cisgendered people who don't want to they don't want to know. Like what do I how do I talk to them? <laughs> can I talk to them? Well, I mean, one, I guess it's good. It's not about them, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, they don't have to make any changes. I mean, right. nobody's asking them to identify differently. I think what it comes down to, and I think my toxic trait is, I think everything can be solved with social emotional learning. Um, yes. But we I love social emotional learning. But I really, really think if people could find a way, so I'll rewind a little bit. So somebody, you know, let's say a cisgender male, right? Somebody who the gender they were assigned at birth based on their body parts, their sex was male and they identify as male. They're male. This is who I am. If you ask them why they might start listing traits. Well, I like football. I like this. It's like, well, that's what you like, but what makes you know you're a man? It's, it's kind of hard sometimes for people to mm-hmm. like, know because you, you just kind of know you have this sense of self and that's really amazing. Right. We all have that. And so once you start saying, if he says I'm male, if you then say, well, here's a transgender man who was assigned female birth, but actually that their gender identity is male, then he, if he can't see that that transgender man who, depending on what this person's body parts are, are the same as him, then he starts questioning his own masculinity and he starts questioning his own sense of identity mm-hmm. and sense of self. And that's scary. Like if this person is a man, but there's so many differences that I don't understand then how can I also be a man? And so mm-hmm. either that person is like, eh, does it matter? 
am I comfortable and confident enough in myself and in my relationships to allow this person to live safely and with respect and happiness? Mm -hmm. Or am I going to dig in and push back because I don't want to understand because that's scary if I have to learn something new. And if that goes against what my community also supports. Mm -hmm. So we get into people who are part of certain religious communities, certain friend groups, family circles, you know, politics. And it's really scary to start thinking or learning about things that aren't part of the group. You don't want to be the outsider in a group. And so you get into this tricky position of like, do I really want to dig myself out of these beliefs and start questioning stuff and learning, knowing that I might lose some friends and family, or do I want to just stay stuck and I mean, obviously I don't think people rationally go through all of these thoughts. Right. Yeah. I'm going to stay stuck. Yeah. (laughs) Right. I I don't think they do. I think some people do because, you know, they claim their religion tells them to, or, you know, there's a lot Mm -hmm. of different reasons. I don't think religion has to be separate from queerness. There are plenty of activists in the space, space who also hold, you know, queerness and religion very closely together. And a lot of Christians will tell you that space can and should be inclusive for all people. But unfortunately, a lot of the anti-trans and anti-queer laws have been based on religion. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, I have a very tricky relationship with the topic, but I think that's why people fight against, you know, these new identities and, or it's, this is what I learned in third grade science. It's like, well, okay, you're 52 now. Like, (laughs) like you can now like scroll, like, your newspaper on your phone too. Like you couldn't do that in third grade either. And so it's like, you know, like things Things have changed. Things have evolved. Things change. And the the fear, it's just fear-based. I mean, that's a oversimplification, but I just see it's a lot of fears and you can call them different things, but they come down to this. Yeah. People being afraid. Part of getting rid of that, a huge part of it is education. And a lot Mm -hmm. of the work that you do in different schools and businesses in terms of trying to make them more inclusive and affirming spaces for LGBTQI plus people. So I know you do speaking on these topics and then you also lead these workshops on becoming better allies. And then also, you know, it's just so people can understand the idea of being transgender and how do you talk to your kids about it? How do you talk to other family members about it? And we are running head on into this. Well, I've been doing it for a long time with my informed parents of Austin group, trying to make sure that cishet parents are feeling equipped and informed in order to have these conversations Mm -hmm. and to be better allies. But I think in this past week or two in Texas, it's just been especially in our face. I mean, we've we've had a lot of laws that we've had to fight against in the past with the bathroom laws. Texas is a big spot for that. Now it's uh, kids being able to play sports in school. But most recently, the most tragic part has been Abbott doing this proclamation saying that basically parents who are allowing their trans kids to identify who they are, are open for being accused of child abuse, having their kids taken away while these cases are checked out, but basically saying that any type of medical care that is supportive of the trans kids is child abuse. So, I mean, this isn't just a matter of what your preference is anymore. This is a matter of parents losing their kids. I mean, it's, it can't get 
bigger for me. So like allies, great, but I think we need to upgrade things a little bit to accomplish now these days. Like what, mm -hmm. what, what can we do? What, what should we be doing now to make sure that these kids aren't getting taken away from their families? Yeah. So this is, I have a lot, obviously, to say on this. I'm not a legal expert. There's amazing work being done by the ACLU, Lambda Legal, Equality, is it Texas? Equality Texas. Equality, Equality yeah. Texas. I wasn't sure if it's Texas Equality or Equality Texas. Yeah. And the Transgender Education Network of Texas is also amazing. So I know there's a lot of legal places happening, but the reality is they can't handle all these cases. So I want to back up a little bit. And so, yes, Texas is not the only state, unfortunately. Um, I think there are currently two dozen states looking at anti-trans and or LGBTQ laws. And a lot of it has to do with, you know, kids can't play on the sport of, you know, with the, as the gender they identify with, or we can't talk about this stuff in classrooms. And if kids do talk about who they are or come out to a I don't know, I'd like to say supportive teacher, you know, they're saying that teachers are supposed to then report this to the, the parents. And whether the parents are going to be supportive of this or not, I always tell educators and guidance counselors, if a child comes to you with this information, and there's no harm, obviously, if there's like suicide ideation, self-harm, abuse, bullying, like there's different, like we want to make sure these kids are safe. But if a kid mm -hmm. comes to you and says, I think I'm gay or I kind of feel like a girl, like, and comes to you as a trusted source to just talk to like one, thank you for telling me. I'm so glad that you trust me with this information. And that's when you say, does anybody else know, you know, can I talk about this with anybody else? And if the kiddo says, you know, a couple of my friends know, or no, not really. Or, you know, Mrs. You know, Smith knows my, you know, social studies teacher, but I really am not ready for my parents to know. That's when the teacher has to reel back and I mean, you can say why, and the right. kid might just not be ready. Cause when we tell our parents things, it's kind of final, you know, because then, you know, like <laughs> the questions are going to come, is this real? <laughs> like, you know, yeah. like as a kid, like, oh man, once like my parents find out, I, do I have to commit to this? Like, they're going to bring it up every five minutes. Right. Like, do you how still feel I like a girl? Do you still feel like a girl? And so in best case scenario, it's just a nosy, really supportive parent right? That's what we all want. We want like people who care about right. us so much. We want to ask all the questions to get all the answers because yeah. we love you. For other situations, the parents are not accepting and the kid knows. Mm -hmm. And then, so it's going to go from a quietly or maybe, you know, not so quiet toxic situation to an abusive situation. So I just had a article out there on, on parents.com about, we need to stop outing LGBTQIA plus kids because they're, you know, the increase of self-harm, abuse, homelessness, all that stuff goes up. It's just not safe. And they're going to be yeah. who they are anyhow. You're just putting them at risk if you decide to either tell community members and or other students or their parents. People, some teachers have pushed back and said, well, isn't it a parent's right to know? I'm like, just because you would want to know, like, no, kids are not our, we, our kids don't belong to us. Like there's no right to know anything. I mean, our kids aren't mm -hmm you know, using my credit card without my knowledge, like they're not stealing <laughs> from me. Like they're trying to figure out who they are. And I'm so glad that they found somebody that they could talk to about that in a safe way. And hopefully when they feel comfortable, they'll come and talk to me. And so whether I think I've created an environment that's safe enough for them to do that or not, it's their timing. It's their story for when they're mm -hmm. ready to come and talk to me about certain things.
So what's happening in Texas is definitely the peak of um, attack, essentially. Mm -hmm. So yes, what Abbott and Paxton did essentially was saying, you know, anybody who offers gender affirming medical care to trans students could potentially be prosecuted as abusing their children. So what drives me nuts (laughs) um, is, you know, the American Medical Association, Endocrine Society, um, American Academy of Pediatrics, what's the other one? American Psychological is it Academy Association Association has said not treating these kids is what's hurting them, is what's it's dangerous. Yeah. It's really dangerous. And when people think of trans kids and allowing them to transition, they automatically think, oh, you're operating on these kids. It's like, first of all, can we talk about circumcision? Like, <laughs> like if we're really gonna talk about performing surgeries on kids without their consent, let's talk about that first. Yeah. Like there's a no widely medical- accepted just thing we just do. Right. Yes. Yeah. So like, let's have conversations about really what's happening. So when it comes to transitioning, if it's okay to talk about this for a second, there's yeah. a lot of different ways a human being can transition. And it doesn't have to be medical ever. You know, there's social transitioning, which a lot of younger kids do, which is, you know, I might want to dress a certain way. I want my hair to be a certain way. Could you please call me this name? You know, those are all social forms of of transition. There might be legal ways to do this. Birth certificate change. You know, as a kid gets older, their driver's license, maybe a passport. These are different legal things people can do to change their gender markers. And then there's medical, which is really hard and expensive to acquire. Like, I don't know where Abbott thinks like, we're just like pulling like, you know, like (laughs) hormones and surgeries out of the air because like I, as a how old am I now? 40, as a 39 year old who had gender affirming surgery, like my insurance and paperwork, the hoops I had to jump through to finally get this surgery. Like we aren't just operating on children. That's not all children want or need that. What we're talking about with transgender use specifically when it comes to medical care, and that could be therapists too, like say, psychological care yes. to yes. care. And it's not because these kids need, there's anything wrong with them. They're not mentally ill. Sadly, Trans people have had to prove the fact that they're so uncomfortable in themselves to get the care that they need instead of just being affirmed. Like, so the therapy comes in because it's like, we have to go through like, I'm miserable. Like, I mean, Mm -hmm. plenty of trans people are miserable, but like before I could have my surgery, I had to prove my dysphoria, which did exist, but in a medical way, in order for insurance to even consider paying for it. I'm like, can't we flip that a little bit and be like, look yes. how happy this human being is like, and they know their bodies well enough to want to go and do this. Yes. So when we talk about trans kids, if a kid before puberty knows that they're not the identity that they were given at birth for a lot of them, it's really scary to think about puberty progressing their bodies into mm. a gender that they don't identify with. So my transgender daughter, the idea for her you know, she gets older for her voice to deepen facial hair, like all these different things that would make her look like she's presenting as male is really terrifying. And that's the same with a transgender male doesn't want, you know, breasts to grow periods may or may not happen, but there's a lot of things that, you know, your body changes, puberty stinks, you know, (laughs) and add that on top of, you know, a transgender kid who's like, I don't want my body to do this because it aligns with a gender that feels really miserable for me. Then how do we do it? And we use puberty blockers. And those have been prescribed forever for kids who go through early 
puberty. Like there are some six-year-olds who start puberty and doctors are like, okay, that's a little too early. And, or they're going to feel like outcasts against their social peers, because what six-year-old girl at the pool wants to be like, hang on. I don't know if I can swim today because I have my period. I'm not Mm -hmm. comfortable. Like it's just too soon. I have had that. I started puberty at like 10. It was too early. It was the only one of my friends. I wish that I could have slowed that a bit. Mm -hmm. So, so oftentimes they will. And, and so because puberty blockers are safe and reversible, they're prescribed. I mean, yeah. And so whenever you take that puberty blocker away, body kicks in and goes to the puberty that, you know, it it does. I mean, our bodies are pretty amazing that way. So puberty blockers are totally reversible. It pauses time. And so for some folks who are like, well, what if kids change their mind? Well, they might, (laughs) they don't usually like detransitioning. Like you might hear one or two cases and you know, it just doesn't And of course, that's all you'll hear about often, from any right. opposition that's, because they'll try right, to like right. just. And, and I tell if from the age of two and a half, you know, my daughter to, let's say we do puberty blockers, let's say we, you know, she goes off them, let's say at, I don't know, 12, 13, maybe 14. He's like, actually, I guess I really am a boy. Do not think that's going to happen. <laughs> um, then I'll say, you know what? Then we had 12 really amazing years of you living as exactly who you wanted to be. You're super happy and okay, we'll support this too. Your body's going to do what it needs to do. Like that's just what it is. Like Mm -hmm. I don't see any problem in that, but for a lot of kids who are, the truth is puberty blockers. And then when they get a little older, then they're going to take cross hormones. And so then, you know, a transgender boy would start taking testosterone and that would force their body into a puberty that is more aligned with their gender. You know, the, the, the voice will lower the facial hair, you know, some different things happen. And so what's really great about puberty blockers, if a kiddo can take them before puberty is that it might reduce the chance of them maybe having to have gender affirming surgery when they're a little Mm. bit older. Mm -hmm. So a transgender Mm. boy who never develops breasts doesn't have to have them removed someday. Yes. Not that transgender men should or need to have their breasts removed, but a lot of them do. And so you're at least giving, you know, or even non-binary people, like you can have any body parts that you want and feel good in. Nobody's saying you have to medically do anything. But when we're talking about youth, and Abbott really thinks that we're somehow like castrating children and or sterilizing them or doing things to them that's going to hurt them in the long run. And it's not. By not doing that, we're increasing their, their risk of death by suicide so much more. Yeah. So i rather have a kid on puberty blockers than not a kid at all. And that's really what's at stake. I don't want to mm-hmm. sound dire, but the reality of the situation is, is dire. It's dire. Biden did finally step in with, right now I'm calling it strongly worded language. (laughs) So I'm hoping that it follows through, but apparently I kept calling it Homeland Security, which it kind of feels like Homeland Security, but it's (laughs) human services. Security of your home. Yeah. (laughs) I know. Right. You know, has said the job of these social services, which are already overrun, right? Like the last thing they want is a parent being reported for loving and affirming their kid. They don't have time for that. They're saying, you know, these agencies, remember your job is to protect these kids. And that includes providing gender affirming care. They're reminding doctors that, you know, HIPAA, you know, you have to maintain the patient's privacy. And Mm -hmm. if you feel nervous or like that you as a provider are under legal consideration because somebody thinks you did something wrong, here are services um, that we can provide you with. 
They've also offered services to families who are currently under investigation. Right now, everything is halted. So mm-hmm. we'll see what happens. This is not the end of the fight. It's going to keep going. I appreciated Biden's words. I hope it's enough of a threat and or enough weight to stop what's happening. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I should be optimistic or not, but I hope that gives some people some safe spaces to go to if they need it and or a little peace of mind knowing that at least they have some federal protection because like I mentioned before, the ACLU, these other, you know, grassroots, not the ACLU is grassroots, but, you know, local organizations trying to help these families, they're taxed because at a certain point they weren't set up to do this kind of work and the volume of it and across all these states it's just too much. We need the federal government to step in and say enough is enough. Yeah. And in addition to those local resources being taxed, parents of trans kids are exhausted. I mean, I see it in Texas, but I'm sure it's across the nation, across the world. And one of the things that we try to do in my group informed parents of Austin is really get people to almost be a relief pitcher. (laughs) Like if you're going to go to the Capitol or if you're going to go to a school board meeting, a lot of times people don't feel safe. Their kid may not be completely out. They, even if they are, they don't feel safe putting a spotlight on them. You know, ask them, be this megaphone for them if they need you to read their words at a school board meeting or literally go hold a sign. You know, for a good portion of summer, they were just standing outside of the chambers where the Senate was so that when they would come out of meetings, we'd be holding our protect trans kids signs. You don't need to say anything. You don't need to be on the news. You don't need to be able to, you know, speak to every point as eloquently as Amber has, but like hold a sign. And those parents that are there every dang day doing that, give them a break. I mean, Mm -hmm. just because someone's in the LGBTQ plus community does not mean that they are an activist and that they have tons of spare time to be protesting at the Capitol. So I try to encourage other cishet parents to know that It can be hard sometimes when you're trying to support a community that you're not a member of because you feel Mm -hmm. like either you're trying to go in, you know, whether it be racial and you're the the white savior or in this case, the straightest savior of like going in. But there's so much need for it and there's so much relief needed for these parents. So, I mean, what what can we do? Even some of my friends have just been like, just calling your parents the parents of trans kids and just saying hi, checking in on them. Like that's the number one thing they need right now is just a little bit of emotional comfort and relief. Are there any things that you can think of too, that we should be doing? Yeah. I think like you said, and sometimes people say like, well, just, you know, for these families with trans kids or trans people themselves, like just leave the space. Well, that's not an option. That's, that's quite a privilege. Like one, you're just going to be like, how many, where can you go? First of all, like, this is your home. And so the fact that there are organizations there who are are doing this like we do need allies and we do need people speaking up and and somebody said to me how do we get here I'm like well because we have always known where people like Abbott and Paxton stand it's I don't know who my allies are Mm -hmm. so I need people who are against this to speak up about it I need them to yes it's nice to see on Facebook, like I support you or calling them, but it's showing up at school or meetings. It's why are we banning these books again? Like, mm-hmm. Hey, why don't calling your local library and say, do you have these books? If not, can I buy them for you? You know, do you have the budget to buy these books so that the queer community can see themselves represented in your spaces? Hey, you know, workplace, can we have a training on some of this stuff? Hey, um, teacher at my school, 
have you all been educated on inclusivity and spaces? You know, what have you done? Is there a local place you can donate money to, to help them keep doing the things? It's a lot of showing up and you're right. Mm -hmm. These parents are exhausted and, you know, I've been in this space for a long time and, and I sometimes forget that not all trans people understand what's happening in the legal world because they're just living their lives as they should. I'm like, oh, right. (laughs) I was working with a writer and I'm like, and they're like, wait, what's happening in Texas? I'm like, how do you not know? I'm like, I'm just trying to live my life. You're just trying to like do stuff as you should. You mean Uh, you're not all day long in the scroll hole? I know. Well, I mean, and as you know, the news editor at parents, like I am constantly looking at the news. So it's not only all the news, but as an activist in these spaces, like it's just constant. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. and so, yes, I do. I'm tired too, but I also, and it shouldn't feel like a benefit. I know I'm in a safe place. I know that my kid is protected. I know where I will never move to, but for the parents who are there, yeah, I think the allies showing up, being loud and for those parents, the Trevor Project is a great resource, GLAD, PFLAG. And also, I don't know if you are all familiar with Gender Cool, but they're the super organization. And so, so much of trans lives, unfortunately, have to be seen through this trauma lens, like of look what's mm-hmm. happening to us. We're being attacked. We have to prove our existence. Like, look, we're not horrible. Gender Cool has totally flipped it on its head. And there's 12, 14 champions and they're just trans youth living their best lives. And it's showcasing these amazing trans kids, just who they are. A lot of them are also activists. One of them, at least one of them lives in Texas. And I know his mom does a ton of work politically down there too. And so it's, I want parents to see that trans kids are amazing and all parents, but I want parents of trans kids to be like, oh my gosh, look, they're thriving. I'm doing the right thing by affirming, Mm -hmm. not that I think they would tell you otherwise, but it's like, oh, look, I don't want to just see the suicide stats, right? I mean, yes, that's a reality, unfortunately, and too many parents know what that feels like. But I also want parents and trans kids to see the joy and beauty of who we are, and Gender Cool does that, and I love them. They're a great organization, Um, so if you have the chance to check them out and or link to it, um, link to it for sure. It's really fun and affirming to see all that stuff. So. Yeah. I think just pressing your family, your friends, if you feel like, Hey, I just learned this really cool thing about pronouns. Can I tell you about it? I think it's just what we want to do is move those passive allies to be more active. Cause we're <laughs> never going to move like the, you know, family member at the dinner table. Who's like, Oh, that's, I'm, that's eh. you know, okay. Like I hope that we can get there. The goal really is to move those people in the middle to like become more active, to Mm -hmm. donate a little money, to show up, to learn something new so that they can teach something. Because like, I'm hoping that my knowledge today here spreads out a little bit and that it goes beyond you too. And that you can go and educate a couple of people and whoever listens can educate a couple of people. So if we can keep doing that and become louder about it, my hope is that we can do better and be better for trans youth, but and just people in general. I mean, sometimes, you know, it bums me out that people are like, until it happens to them, it's like, it's do you not valid. know yeah. somebody that you love and care about before like you do this? Like, can't we just think about like humanity and yes, the right thing that's what do. blows my mind. And I know it, I'm oversimplifying, but it is like, it's not about you. That's what I want to scream so often is it's not about you, but yes. it's about 
us? Like, why can't we just make it okay for everybody? And I like to tell people that we all have the same thing. Like we all have the sense of gender, the sense of self. We all have gender expression. Like, how do we show up today? Like, what are we wearing? Mm -hmm. How is our hair? You know, do we do makeup? Do we do jewelry? And then, you know, how do we fall in love? Is it, you know, physically, is it emotionally? How do we, like, we Mm -hmm. all are human beings. We have these things. What I hope to do is through representation and through education, showing that the things that deviate from those gender stereotypes and the heteronormative idea that everybody is male or female and everybody marries, you know, into a cisgender relationship, um, heterosexual one. I don't want people to think anything that's not that is wrong. Like we have to learn that there's more out there. There's always been more out there Um, because we all have these things and no one thing should be set as the default. But unfortunately we're still working as if the heteronormative is the end all be all. And it's just not so much so. And, you know, we have totally blown through our look, listen, learn time, but I am so glad because I think all this information is so important, but before we do let you go, I I want to do my soapbox. I do this every once in a while, but in, in defense of comprehensive LGBTQ inclusive sex ed, mm-hmm. so, mm-hmm. so, 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 so incredibly important. And I just, before anybody starts to freak out about, oh, but sex ed, well, we have so over-sexualized sex ed and what's actually included in it. I mean, it is all just about respecting who we are and respecting others, whatever part of their life that may show up in. And uh, we want we also- all genders to understand how the menstrual cycle works. Can we just yes. start there? Oh, right. yes. Yes. Like that's inclusive sex ed. Yeah. 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 We had a really like conversation about it at the table the other night. Seems like an odd place to discuss the menstrual cycle, yeah. but I am the only female identifying person in my house. I am the only person who has had, or will have a menstrual cycle in this house. And well, you don't have to be female random... identifying to have that. So you're that the is, only yes. person with a uterus who bleeds. Um, yes. Right. Or had a uterus. Oh, okay. I don't do that or, anymore. There you go. Okay. Well, there's... Yeah, I don't do that. But we had a talk about it. Like it, a question came up in like a jokey manner and that it'll, it allowed for like, well, this is how it works. And that it's what it's like. And this is, and it was not a big deal. And I thought, okay, I have effed up so many things in my life. And I'm yeah. sure my kids will have a lot of reasons to be on the therapist couch. But the fact that we can sit at the table working on our service project and have a discussion and my 15, almost 16 year old boy didn't run away or cover his ears or, you know, like we just had a talk and his dad was there and we were just like, and a a little PSA also to call them period products instead of feminine hygiene products, because we have engendered a lot of terminology that we use around things Mm -hmm. that aren't necessarily specific to one gender. So that's one thing I'd like to say, but I want to do a little shout out also for social emotional learning. Everybody needs to be aware that this is the next thing that they, as in they who burn books and that (laughs) who fight a lot of these policies are coming after. And we have seen it. I, I think that Texas is one of the front rows for seeing what ugliness is coming around the corner. They are coming after social emotional learning. Know that term, know that it is not scary. Know that it's just letting kids know who they are and loving that about themselves and loving who other people are the way they are. And they're trying to make that scary. And they're trying. Think about how different and better my life could have been in the lives of so many people I'd known had we had the language to talk about what we felt Mm -hmm. or what we were seeing. 
and there was no language. I was a very grown woman before a therapist helped me put language to some of my feelings and to some of what I was struggling with. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't because my parents didn't want me to have that. It just was different then. Yeah. It was just, we didn't talk about it. So the gift that these kids have, and now we're going to try to snatch it away because someone has put a negative connotation yeah. to this. It has concept. nothing to do with quote unquote indoctrination into the LGBTQI plus lifestyle. It has nothing to do. I mean, it has to do with your identity as far as who you are and who you feel you are and what you love about yourself. But it is and how just, you relate to others. Yeah. Like it, being able to. Well, and like you see number. kids, like they can't sit still, they're angry, they're throwing things like, well, maybe they're hungry and their parents are fighting a lot. Mm-hmm. Like, how can we talk to kids about like what's going on inside that's causing them to have these reactions? I mean, yes, consequences and yes, you know, set boundaries and limitations. Of course, like you have to protect all students in this space, but perhaps there's something else going on besides this kid, you know, being labeled a bad kid or a hard kid or a difficult kid or, or something else. Like, can we give educators the time and space and resources to be like, Hey, what's going on? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. And some language around it. You know, tools to say, I, I don't know. I'm sad. I'm angry. I'm frustrated. I need to go for a walk because that's really Mm -hmm. important too. Yeah. This literally just came up in our shack meeting though, because we just approved the new textbooks, the first new health textbooks in Texas in over 20 years. They still do not acknowledge (laughs) the fact that there are LGBTQIA plus students, but they do touch on a lot of the social emotional learning things, which as a byproduct are helping kids, even if, I mean, I do think it needs to be explicit and said in the words, it is not. Um, But even if it is not, it is still like, given a little wink i can't wink give it there we go oh, wow Just <laughs> raise your eye. there we go <laughs> giving a wink to like hey yeah kid we got you but people are now freaking out to the fact that it's encouraging kids to find a trusted adult and that is the that is the ammunition that people are going to use against social emotional learning the fact oh, that the parent does not necessarily have to be numero uno person that kids are going just such to a narrow way of thinking things. It is, and it's dangerous, but I'm just, I just want people to be aware of this as they start hearing things come out and be like, oh, I'm not sure about these lessons. They're telling, they're sending people to, you know, the neighbors instead of talking to their parents, like, no, 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 no. They're teaching them what a trusted adult is. So they're not just searching for stuff on the internet. They're not going to adults that could be dangerous. They Mm -hmm. are helping them make make smart decisions of other places where they can do research that doesn't necessarily involve getting their parents involved. So no one is trying to bypass parents. Right. Like I like to think that my my kids could come to me, that we are trusted, safe adults, but everybody is an individual. And there may be a time that my kids, for some reason, cannot come to me or their father about it. We have taught them since they were, could hear who their other trusted adults are, how to find another trusted adult, how to look around and figure out who that might be for them. And we practice, I say, if you're not feeling great about something and you don't want to talk to me, who are you going to talk to? Who, and you know, do you, do you don't even have to tell me just in your head, do you know who that person is? And do you know how to reach them? Yeah. Because and just know that you should just, it's okay. Yeah, so you've you got don't. to talk to somebody. That's what we always say. Yeah. Just talk to somebody. Yeah. Talk to yeah. somebody. It doesn't have to be me, but find someone because yeah. something's too much for you to be carrying around. Yeah. I want it to be me, of course, because I'm a nosy and caring mother, (laughs) but it doesn't have to be me. 
And then have that person report back to me what you said. Can you make it somebody who's going to tell me no? Oh my gosh. We haven't even got to your awesome new job. Congratulations, by the way, on your new job at parents.com. Can you tell us how things are going in the maybe we'll highlight in the show notes, some of top articles that we want to make sure that yeah. people Ooh, are reading. Yeah. Send us some articles. things you'd like us to link to. Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah. So I have gone from writer freelancer for a long time to editor, which is, it's hard to turn off that hustle, um, kind of grinding. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm still doing a lot of work, but it, it's like reverse freelancing. Cause now I have all these story ideas and I have to find writers for them versus like <laughs> finding editors to publish them, (laughs) Um, but it's great. So I'm a news and trends editor at parents and it is great. I love the team and I've worked with these folks through being a writer and just about writing circles for a long time. And I really like being in the position I'm in because I get to shape news in a way that is news for parents in all corners of the country and the world and not just, you know, a particular brand of parent. I want all parents to feel seen. You know, my goal is to get as many diverse writers to tell a diversity of stories because being able to tell a story about being a trans person in America really needs to come from a trans person in America, you know, that, you know, you could maybe report on something because you can read and you're smart and you can put words together, but to be able to tell something through the lens of that same mm-hmm. identity is just different. So I feel really great and supported in my role to be able to find people to those stories and to hopefully share information with parents that maybe they don't know what they don't know yet. Yeah, I had a piece about why LGBTQI plus books are being banned right now and how these school boards are becoming political playgrounds. And it's really just a way into effect curriculum and, mm-hmm. you know, have a piece about stop outing queer kids. And I just want parents to know what's going on if it's outside of their world. And there's going to be some pushback because it might not apply for them. I not agree for it, but I want to make sure whether it's, you know, families with disabilities, different race, different communities, different cultures, different socioeconomic backgrounds, that we can hopefully tell stories in a way that all parents somehow see themselves eventually in the information we're giving them. So yeah. I love it. It's, it's a lot. It's a very um, fast paced kind of, you know, mm. it's hard to kind of keep up with, you know, what's trending and entertainment stuff. How do yeah. you keep up with what's trending, but also what do you keep up with what you think is really important? Everybody should know. And they're like, yeah, well, it's like, well, <laughs> it is, come on. It's really important. And, and not that I, I get the meh from my, my team, but you know, it's, as you know, audiences, you, you never know what they're going to grab onto, yeah, <laughs> you never know fickle. but, um, I feel really good in that role and things well, are good. So well, excited. excited for you. Thank you. And I'm glad that you're kind of being the megaphone for a lot of those voices and giving them a platform to be able to share those stories. So I think that's wonderful. It feels good. Yeah. And I love being able to do stuff like this still too. That was a really important piece of, of like, make sure I can still do trainings. I can still do these kind of things. So I love that I can still do the advocacy stuff because I can't not. (laughs) It's just part of who I am. Who you are. Yeah. Yeah. And we, we need it so much. And in the Austin area, and actually, I mean, there's there's GLSEN trainings that go on nationwide throughout schools as well. Out Youth has a really great program in Austin now. So, I mean, it is happening, but it's not going to happen unless y'all go out there and speak up at the school boards because there's like a 5% group that is the 95% of the voice that people yep. are hearing because they've yep. got the time and the money. And yep. Oh, yeah. 
to get out there and speak. So, I mean, if you are a silent supporter, now's the time to speak up. Yeah. Well, and if people aren't familiar with what's happening in Texas, the podcast South Lake will clue you right on in of, <laughs> have you heard or listened to I have not I've heard of it, but I haven't listened yet. So okay. it's that little town South Lake and it's basically how they want I mean, it became the fight of like CRT and it's not critical race theory. Basically like they wanted, the school's going to pass an equity policy mm-hmm. and it then turned into, there's not a racism problem here. And it, and it became a political game and it became, like you said, the very loud 5% organizing and getting money and, and stopping the equity policy because the fear of, you know, LGBTQIA plus and, and race theory yeah. and and y'all, was- there, there is such strategy behind this. I mean, they will, depending on what their cause of the month is, it's the same people. They will bust yep. them into the Capitol. Yep. They will take them to all the different school boards. It's They're very organized. They are so organized. And it is just, it's it's like a, almost like a corporate structured plan. Yep. It mm-hmm. is, it is not We need to get just as organized. Like, I just feel like we're, we're not. There's so many different ways we're trying to attack this one big thing. And I think that's part of it, right? You know, and, and it's not that all these smaller pieces aren't good, but there's so many different ways to attack this. And they're just like, we're all in, (laughs) like, we, we don't like any of these things that you're all trying to do. And, you know, like we, (laughs) we have all these pockets of trying to fight for individual rights or individual groups. And, you know, we do need to have more intersection in our, um, you know, from feminism to, you know, anti-racism to, like, we need to find a way to incorporate that more often, but we also need, like I said, and you said the quiet allies to to be louder and to show up and to, Mm -hmm. you know, publicly say, I'm an ally, do you want some education here? Yeah. And I mean, even for the allies who are baby stepping it, for the people who are at the Capitol, at the school board for five, six hours, days on end, bring snacks. Yeah. signs. Ask if you can run some errands. Literally. I mean, if maybe you can provide childcare for some of the people who are there. I mean, there's things that you can do, even if you are a timid ally and, or, you know, a lot of people I deal with an anxiety disorder after a certain amount of time of being up front, being interviewed, whatever the case may be, I, I do have to back off a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so there may be some weeks where, you know, I'm the social media share or I'm the food deliverer or whatever the case may be. There's other ways to help support. So yeah. find the way that works for you. And then I would encourage you to then try to take it just a little bit further, <laughs> just a little for bit sure. further. But yes. Oh my gosh. We've kept you way beyond your time. And I yes, know that have. you have, you have a legit job you need to get back to. <laughs> Missy and I are just like, we just got hungry kids downstairs. Like the parents.com is probably looking. I don't even have are. kids here today. Mine are in school. We don't have oh, the weird day off. Mine have the so day off. I don't know where oh. they're at, but yes. <laughs> Well, thank you. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you so much. Appreciate your wisdom and your voice on this. We're trying to make sure that the parents do know what they don't know and they don't have an excuse anymore. So this is great. Awesome. All right. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you so much. Have a great afternoon. Thank you so much for joining us for the mom and dot, dot, dot podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show today. And if you know someone else who could benefit from today's episode, be sure to share it with them. Also, please subscribe and rate us wherever you listen to podcasts.
You can find links to all the things we discussed today in the show notes over at our website, momandpodcast.com with the A-N-D spelled out. In between shows, you can find us at the socials, including our private mom and community Facebook group. You can find links to the group, all of our socials, and our questions and comments section over at our website, momandpodcast.com. Thank you so much for your support. We appreciate you so much. Now go out there and make your ellipses count.